0: Hello and welcome to Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact in our area. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. Six Stone's Mission Network is the focus of today's show. In studio is their president and CEO, Scott Shepard. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Pleasure to be here. Well, thank you
0: very much. We, we finally got it together. You and I bounced back emails trying to get this thing scheduled. And I actually like that. When I talk to a group and they're so busy that they can't actually come in the studio. It makes me feel like they're actually doing something, and they're they're where they should be. And when they finally come in, it feels good, so I'm glad that you're here.
1: Yeah, we appreciate that. It, it does feel busy. It does feel busy. I, you're a busy man. Wow. It,
0: by email, this is what I'm getting. So <laughs> uh, you were recommended by uh, Alliance for Children, Julia Braun had great things to say about your organization and uh, I'm interested to learn more. I was cruising your website, but that's never enough. Uh, Talk to me about what Six Stones is.
1: Absolutely. Well, Typically, I would, you would think we're just a nonprofit kind of doing our thing. And I would say we're really more of an organization that builds community. And uh, it's probably a lot of nonprofits would say the same thing, but uh, kind of short history. We woke up one day, actually, we were birthed out of a church over in the Mid-Cities area. And uh, unfortunately, I'm going to probably step on some toes. Most of our churches don't really know what's going on in their backyard. And mm. so we had the same experience. We woke up and realized what had changed in around 2008, 2009 in our communities, with our schools, with our our housing with lots of things and uh, obviously with the downturn in the economy but at the same time Texas has led the way over the last ten years with jobs people are coming and so we still had a lot of needs so we woke up and realized we need to do something our first stop was to go down to City Hall and ask them what do you need help with And they begin to talk to us about housing stock. How do we help uh, our seniors? How do we help our veterans? How do we help single moms? And so we just begin to lean into that. And then as soon as you start to collaborate across those lines, school district's going to be your next phone call, I guarantee you. Uh, and there's some big changes out there right now. Matter of fact, in, in the education world, I'd love to visit with maybe later in this, this conversation. So all those doors are opening up because we realize we've got to collaborate. So that's why I say community. But uh, gosh, uh, the laundry list would be we work with local housing. We work with our school kids on some initiatives. We've got a uh, uh, emergency assistance center there in the HEB. We can uh, help feed po- uh, folks. Food insecurity is a big deal in Dallas-Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're just trying to hit a lot of the little areas. But make a difference
0: you guys wanted to be active and you guys you guys took it upon yourselves to make a change and here we are with six stones so what was it in your opinion that was that difference maker what made you guys want to get involved in the way that you did
1: well I think right now in the faith community a lot of churches are waking up and wanting to go do something and so we kind of did the same thing we went down to the city manager's office and said hey we'd like to do X but that goes back to what I was mentioned a while ago the education uh, most of our churches right now are not spending the time really talking to those entities because they know what their need is city hall knows what their struggles are Mm -hmm. school districts know better than anybody else what their struggles are and so uh to answer your question once we heard what their need was and we saw it it broke our heart and so much to the point that we realized that we needed to do something pretty significant it had been kind of status quo in our area there's some great other additional nonprofits in our area but something needed to be done to address that specific and kind of a new need, I guess you should say, but um, man, it just broke our heart and we just had to do something.
0: When you approached the city, were they surprised? Oh, absolutely. I mean you just you show up and say, What do you guys need? And I can't imagine that a lot of cities are, are used to that yeah. or, or have that happen really at all.
1: No, they they really aren't. I mean you have uh, cities and businesses sometimes talk okay together. As a matter of fact you'd be surprised even I've learned that sometimes cities and school districts don't talk well together even though, mm. right? They're common ground, common sure. but there's still a dialogue, there's a language there and there's also relationships that need to be built and sometimes they're not there. They're very Just business-like. And so, uh, yeah, to go down to City Hall and ask them what they need help with, most of them will fall back on their heels. Um, And I hate to say this, but I come out of a church background. A lot of times we do go down there and we tell them what we're going to do for them. Eh, It's worth nothing. Yeah. And so it's nice. It's a great gesture, but... um, you know, we even saw this, for example, in the Harvey situation. I mean, I know there's a warehouse now in Dallas, somewhere over here in North Dallas, 300,000-square-foot warehouse, I'm told. It's full of stuff. that never made it to Harvey because we gave a lot of stuff that we thought they needed, and they really didn't. So really, if you can sit down and, and build a relationship and a dialogue, then you can really start to accomplish some things,
0: right? Yeah. Do you think that more organizations are going to start using
1: that model I hope so. That's kind of our mantra right now as we interface with other cities, other communities, other nonprofits. Is go ask the question versus tell them what to do, and kind of what I was talking about a while ago. I, I mean, even to the point now with where school finances and our school systems are, we've we you know you can go have um, you know X Y Z pizza night at some place, and there's twenty percent off your pizza. No, school districts now are starting to put actually personnel in the district that are building collaborative relationships hmm. uh, because. Finance in Texas is where it is, and there's not a lot of extra fluff or resources to be able to build capacity or meet those needs. Most people don't realize the only entity in town that has to say yes is a school district, a county hospital. Uh, You go down the list. A lot of those folks can say no to someone from another country without a green card, a refugee, but not a school district. So they're dying because they have to feed them and educate them, period. And that's great. I think it's perfect. But that's why those doors are opening now, even in Austin, to challenge school districts to build collaborative initiatives in a community. Learn the dialogue and learn how to interface city hall, corporate office, even at the church house.
0: Are you working to spread this message? You, you seem very good at networking. So I'm wondering if you're actually going around to other organizations or doing a little bit in Austin, kind of spread this message and say, don't necessarily give, ask.
1: I would say yes, number one. The first uh, uh, validation of that would be I'm on your radio show. So, <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Fair enough. So, and to be honest with you, Nick, we, we learned some things over the last nine years. We're nine years old now. Hmm. And really for the first seven years of that, we had our head down, going hard, building out programs, building capacity. Um, I mean, for example, our first year we helped about 600 kids with school supplies and HEB for example, and social service fair, all that kind of stuff. We built a relationship with the school district now that then goes into those corporate relationships and, and, and at City Hall. So this year, we helped 6,000 kids in our school district. We found out the systems. We know what they need. Wow. And so so somebody came to us about two years ago and said, you know, you, you really have got something figured out. How do you replicate this? How do you scale that? So that's kind of our challenge right now. Uh, you and I were talking a while ago about a, an organization you interviewed uh, a while back over in Weatherford. I mean, those are the organizations even – and some even in Dallas and Fort Worth and Plano, even as far as Denton, are going, how are you breaking those barriers at City Hall and School District yeah. with a, an organization that was birthed out of a faith-based organization? So, yeah, we're trying to teach it.
0: And those are often the hardest nuts to crack when you say, oh, I'm, I'm in with the city and the school board and we're being effective. For a lot of people, just being – just getting involved with one is, is almost too much or Absolutely. not effective. So I can definitely see how people will be knocking on the door asking what you guys are doing and how. I'm speaking with Scott Shepard. He's the president and CEO of Six Stones. Their website, sixstones.org. That is with a numerical six. When you first started, you said that the city wanted you to look at housing. Right. Were Were they looking for you guys to help them increase the value of homes? What did they actually want you guys to do?
1: Sure. When we started 08, 09, the economy's turning down, right? We all know that. And... Plus, we're in the heart of the mid-cities back in the day when it was the Burbs. It wasn't Frisco and Alliance and all those, right? right? Yeah. And so fast forward 40, 50 years. Now you've got folks that are, that are senior adults. They're trying to hang on. And really what a city said was, hey, we may have some money and a way to leverage some of that, uh, even against a HUD program that they're, a lot of them are involved in. They said, we've got some money. You've got some volunteers, which is what the church should be doing, Right. Maybe there's something we could do to address some of these needs because we don't have a solution, one, on a code enforcement issue. Every city in America has got code enfor- enforcement issues, uh, Highland Park to South Lake to you name it. It's just the scale and scope, and then what do you do with it? Who's, who's going to pay for it? And so here was a sleepy little suburban community that wakes up and realizes, wow, we do have senior adults, and we've also got veterans and whatnot. So what could we do? And so we just dove in, and it's amazing how much, not only did they have very little money at the time, I don't think they even had any money, but how inspiring it was to local businesses, not just those inside that church. We were all kind of out of that one church at the time, but uh, how many businesses or other nonprofits or other individuals said, I want in on that. I want to be a part of that. And so it was cool to see the village take care of the village yeah that's what we learned do you think it was the
0: success of what you were doing that people latched on to
1: oh yeah absolutely because the other thing was we we've had to learn we've had to improve we've had to find the financial models to do that and make it sustainable which we'd love to kind of share and help other communities but um yeah i mean uh if you can make it r- so simple For someone, and we call it an on-ramp, right? You give them a really easy on-ramp, just come. Uh, It's kind of like the old uh, Mr. Miyagi, you know, hand up, hand down, or can you wax on, wax off? Uh, If you've got the materials there, you've done the scopes of work, you've got uh, the sponsorships and the the materials, you make it real easy for folks to engage. It opens their eyes to, wow, I can do this. What else could I do? And that's really what we've done is just leverage that over the course of time. So, uh, even in that program in our little community, we started with one house. Uh, this spring, we'll pass the six hundred mark. This will be our ninth year.
0: Congratulations! And so, and is that CPR? Is you, that
1: what we're talking about? Yeah, we we affectionately call it CPR. It actually had a medical connotation when it started. It started in the city of Euliss, and they called it ER. Uh, so we kind of kept the medical because that's what you're doing. You're triaging uh, a disadvantaged family, whether it be a widow, a senior, or a veteran. But uh, so yeah, we're community powered revitalization because we can use. Any sector, skilled, unskilled, you name it, we can get stuff done.
0: Did it take you guys a while to kind of figure out how to make that successful? Because we're talking a lot about your successes and how you're able to translate that and you're spreading the word at, at this point. You've got it dialed in now. Yeah. How long did it take you to figure out what you were doing?
1: You know, it took us. Uh, it took us really about two years of really concerted effort with our city, some of our other folks that want because people want to give to it, they want to sponsor it, but you can't walk around with your hand out all, all the time, especially in nonprofit work. You have to figure out a sustainable model. Sometimes they call it social enterprise is the technical technical term. But we had to work with the city because they begin to right. Where we get a separation of church and state. Well, it's amazing what you. Can do you can bump up to the edge of a lot of things. Uh, matter of fact, in many respects, your government is open to those things, those collabor- collaborations. And so, the city began to figure out where were funds, where were resources, how could we leverage that even to, uh, against county dollars that they had access to, that also translated back to federal or HUD dollars as well. So, about two year process to kind of get this model perfected. We're still working on it, but um,
0: do you do you think that, that were you surprised at how well that you guys worked with the city? Because it really sounds like it was, a, it truly was a collaborative effort to make this organization successful, or at least that program right. successful.
1: Oh gosh, yeah. Um, I got to tell you, coming from my background, not being a city employee, county employee, they've got all these acronyms and like every business, but they've got their own lingo. Yeah. And knowing how to navigate that, what can I say? What what can I not say? Am I out of order? I mean, you didn't know, you know. And so it's it's learning uh, kind of the code. But then we're learning those relationships and who can access and who can do what and not even at City Hall, but then what are those relationships they have? They begin to learn to realize that they can leverage some of those things. There's, I mean, there's some great companies out here doing some great stuff. We like to say it's good business to do good right now. Atmos Energy, TXU Energy, um, Classic Chevrolet. I, mean, I can go down the list of major corporate sponsors that we have mm-hmm. that they love to lean in and help they love to do good let's talk about
0: what those guys get out of it i i i interview charities and nonprofits, right. and I, I think that sometimes it's interesting to talk about what makes a group successful as opposed to exactly what you're doing which of course we will right. but if you were going to talk to somebody in the corporate world and say you should be a part of this why is it important for a business whose sole goal is to make money to be a part of something where this is a charitable endeavor
1: absolutely I think you can even go back to as far—go back into the Obama administration. I mean, there was a point in time he flew to Houston to talk about volunteerism. So it kind of became hip and cool, right? And then I think companies begin to realize, especially coming out of the oh9 uh, recession, that downturn, that it was good business to do good. If I'm supporting a local community and I'm in reinvesting some of my profits back into that local community, it's probably going to bring me more sales. What we like to say you're going to sell more donuts, cars, trucks, you name it, because that's what— People gravitate to that. Because they're a part of the community? They are part of that community. It also says, hey, not only am I a part, but this is a trusted entity in this community. They're us. It's like doing business with family almost at that point. So it is good business for them to do that. And then the thing that has morphed for us, especially with the folks like Atmos Energy, for example, Uh, We build a a one-day event for them and a bunch of their executives go get dirty and work on houses. Well, instead of going playing golf and eating lobster, they come out and they do something with purpose in a city that they service. And so it builds goodwill with uh, city officials. It also builds goodwill with uh, customers in the community. And then they also see it as a team build. Mm. This is a way, other than just playing golf or, like I said, doing something fun, this is a way for them to get in a foxhole and get dirty together. Start doing life because then they start talking about real issues and, and starts breaking down even barriers there which is amazing. And then uh, we love to, as I'm doing it again, talk about Atmos Energy, I'm probably telling a secret. I hope I, I'm not giving away a, a, anything confidential, but they've now figured out that they can bring in certain executives and watch them perform in a volunteer role like that and lead and make decisions on who they're going to promote next. So it's a leadership development track for them because it's incredibly hard to re- lead volunteers, more so than a, an employee.
0: Oh, is this all unintended? I mean, did this, did these it just, it, outcomes just start developing or had you read something or had you experienced something before that let you realize that you're going to be able to get a lot more out of this nah, than just giving back?
1: It's just it's just morphed out over time. Just staying in the game, working with them four or five years. Even they came back to us with that. Mm. We just thought we were filling a need for Atmos to do good. It was corporate social responsibility, great day to do it. Let's go do it. And then what, that's what they said. Man, these are the tangents. For what this does for us, and so we've been able to leverage that on out. And then, if you give me half a second, um, man, it's your generation. Because I'm, uh, you can't see Nick, but I think I'm talking to a millennial, and you guys want to work for companies that have purpose. It's huge in the interview process, and staying employed there. I mean, so they want to work for a company that, that's doing the right things in their communities. And Atmos knows that, and all these other companies we're working with. So they're building a. Purpose to try to also recruit the best talent.
0: Six Zone seems to be listening. That that seems to be really what is pushing your organization forward. Whether you're listening to the feedback from the companies that you're working with, or listening to the city to you know really focus in on making CPR successful. Do you think that that is kind of what has led to the success? Or maybe set your organization apart from others, that listening to those outside influences?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you could go through a ton of leadership books, and and, uh, they'll all kind of come back to that common thread. I mean, Zig Ziglar used to say it, right? If you help enough people get what they want in life, you'll get what, what you want in life. Or And especially for us coming out of a faith community, I don't know, you know, your listeners are from all bents and backgrounds, but uh, my Bible says we came to serve, not be served. And so if I can just lay down my agenda and find out how to serve you and build a relationship, it's amazing how that will blossom into things that will bless the community.
0: I want to talk a little bit more about CPR, about how people can get involved, exactly what you're doing, those kind of things. I'm interested in what your background is. You sound like you come from a more business Background, as opposed to the faith community. So, how did you find your way into Six Stones?
1: Oh my gosh, I tell people all the time, I don't know how the heck I got here. Uh, I grew up, uh, ran off to school to try to be a dentist, and decided that wasn't it. When I came back, I majored in architecture. Okay. Funny thing was, because uh, this is thirty-five years ago, I thought I was going to be Donald Trump because I majored in architecture. I was going to build it, sell it, uh, you name it. I was going to conquer the world. So that prep that prepped me for many respects for what we're doing today because I kind of understand uh, residential I matter of fact spent a seri- uh, pretty good stint there at DR Horton selling houses designing houses and so kind of a natural bent.
0: I was gonna say with the with the successful as this has been there's something working behind yeah. it where you just didn't stumble upon this like no. you're you're there's obviously something there. Yeah, so I didn't, it, it's interesting.
1: Yeah, I didn't roadmap this at all, but uh, <laughs> all things have kind of worked together for good at this stage of the game.
0: Okay, all right. So let's get back to the community powered revitalization project. You're taking a house. You're taking a neighborhood. We're taking a street. What are we? What are we fixing? And how are we going about that?
1: Yeah, the simple core of it is: is once we've gone into a municipality, uh, there's a kind of a working contractual agreement there and some financial arrangements, but uh, on a small scale. But The beauty of it is, it's any city, any citizen in that city can go down to City Hall and they get to apply for assistance. And then each one of those cities actually has a committee of employees, which is really cool too, by the way, because they get to sit down and look at the story of this homeowner. What's going on in their life? Why did they get here? What caused this hardship? Uh, Is it warranted or not? And so now it's just not the mean old city that wrote me a ticket or I got arrested by a police officer or, you know, I didn't uh, cut the limbs in the street above so the fire truck can get there. I mean, here's a city saying, hey, we live here, too. And we have a heart. And so this is a way for them to begin to look into their city and find a solution. And so that's kind of the beauty of that whole process as well.
0: I know you guys are in the mid-cities area. What city are we actually talking about? I don't think we've actually said exactly oh, what gosh. city. Oh, gosh.
1: Well, we started at ULIS. ULIS went to the city of Bedford and Hearst and said, we have a good thing. We need to collaborate, okay. which is another key principle, collaboration, key. From there, it's gone to Wataga, Richland Hills, Haltom City. It jumped all the way to Cleburne. Uh, we're uh, fixing to jump into Everman this year. We're in talks with some other cities in northeast Tarrant County. We've been in talks with folks uh, in Dallas County and Denton County as well. And then also I've got folks all the way to Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, along the uh, Texas coast.
0: One of the other things that I've kind of become fascinated over uh, the couple of years that I've been doing this show is learning about how organizations grow. Right. Usually people are very apprehensive when we get to this part. they like, well, we got to be careful when we're doing this. I mean, you're talking going out of the state You're I mean, you guys are just you're blowing up. Right. Are you not worried about that growth? Is it something that you're always excited about? How do you make sure that six stones grows, but is still as effective as it has been? Yeah,
1: it's really hard. Matter of fact, uh, my board probably uh, if they were listening right now would just uh, <laughs> keel over. But um, I love to say yes. I mean, what we've learned, we are so excited about. We want to share. And that's the dilemma we're at as an organization. It's a great, great conversation how do we blow it up? And so do you franchise it? Do you create, uh, we've used the phrase six stones across America or it's like, no, I think what we really want to do is, is we want to, and, and forgive me, this is an old missionary term, the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. So we've tried to improve all of our systems, write All of our playbooks, uh, package this, up so that when those other cities call, we got to figure out how to even monetize it because you can't fly over the world. But, how could I replicate or help them replicate this? Because it can be done in any community in America, but I don't have to go do it.
0: So you have put six stones into a box, basically. You can ship it. If you read it and follow your steps, you can, you can do what you're doing? Is you, that kind of what you're saying?
1: You could do it. You can definitely do it.
0: Is we, this going to be a national organization? Is that what you guys are hoping to actually achieve?
1: You know, I don't know if we'll be a national organization, but we want a national impact. Does that make sense? I think it does. And so that's why when we talk about groups from Atlanta or even I've got a, it's a group out in Modesto, California right now, if we can coach the principals and help do that, awesome. Are these people Go approaching
0: mango. you or you? Yeah. are they?
1: Yeah, we have we have not marketed or packaged to sell. We're packaging it because we want to be ready, but I haven't built this. You say six stones in a box. I have not built the uh, conference and playbook yet, you know, or I mean that's on the drawing boards to do that, but we believe every community in America wants to have what we experienced. I mean, when you've got that interface between all of those sectors—public, private, social, and even your faith—and and for us, it's not just one denomination. I've got 56 different churches and organizations that work with us, uh, from the from Muslim to Mormon to Evangelical to uh, to Catholic. So. It's it's about building the communities we all want and desire for our seniors, for our kids, for ourselves. So how do I how do I take these principles and how do I push them out? Because we've been for many years in our silos doing our thing our way. And it's amazing what you can do when you work together.
0: But you needed that incubation time to make sure that you had it right.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so
0: you feel? I mean, obviously, you guys have it dialed in, and now you're ready to to spread that
1: gospel. Sure, sure, sure. Well, I would say probably closer to lean startup. Um, you know, is, is it perfect? No, but can we show you? Can we teach you? Yeah, we've already we've rep- helped a group replicate in North uh, West Tarrant County already. Uh, helped a group out in East Texas. I mean, kind of starting small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can take these principles. There's not it's not rocket science.
0: I had a guy tell me that the the difference between a successful business and a successful charity or nonprofit was the tax code. That's it. If you if you run it the same way, you're going to be you're going to be flying. Right. Are you running a small business with the six stones? Is oh, that right. really what's kind of happening here? Oh,
1: there is. I mean, there's virtually no difference between a for profit, nonprofit other than what you just said, tax code. End of the day, you've got budgets, you get expectations, you got goals, you've got payroll, you've got and all those other things. I mean, it is a business. It is a business. And that's why I alluded a while ago, social enterprise. How do you create a social enterprise so it's sustainable? You know the old the idea I think for most p- folks is you start a nonprofit and then you walk around with your hand out all day long trying to get donations. There is a lot of that. I mean, you have to do it on a day in out basis. But even with this community powered revitalization, spending two years with the city of Yulex perfecting that, finding the models, finding out where those dollars are that can be, so it's not just a donation, but there's actually I mean, I mean, there's money out there. There is capacity. So that's what we've tried to. what's what we've tried to learn, and that's what I mean. All nonprofits right now are trying to figure that out.
0: There is money out there. You just have to yeah, find it. You have to find. I'm it. a big believer in that, and it's. I mean, it's obviously true. Right. You've kind of figured it out. Um, what kind of things? I, I feel like we're just talking about CPR, but I. I, I think it's a great program. I sure. really like it. What are some of the things that you guys are actually going to be doing for people's homes? They come in, they sort of try out for it or audition. Once they've got it, are we going to be mowing lawns? Are we going to be? actually doing housework. What do we do to make sure that property levels get raised?
1: You bet. Well, it's all of the above. It's all of the above. Sometimes it is just simple mowing and cleaning up, uh, and that's why it makes it so beautiful for community power to get a bunch of teenagers out there and we can get that done, right? Uh, But sometimes they're very extensive. I mean, uh, roofs, mechanical systems, uh, windows, paint, siding. Uh, new fences. I mean, there's a there's a myriad of things, and so that's the beauty of it. Can I use a teenager to mow something? Absolutely. Can do I need somebody that's trained to go put a heat and air system in? Yes. And there are companies out there that will actually either donate or even uh, deeply discount for this type of work because they want to give back too, right? Yeah. And so you've got to kind of know what button what button to push in any one of those projects at any level and how to access it.
0: What kind of effect does it have to to fix one house? Because as you said, you guys are doing a lot of houses now. You're really making a large impact, but you started small. So what would a community expect to have happen to it once Six Stones has stopped in and done a revitalization?
1: You bet. You bet. I mean, the short answer, Nick, is you don't want to be the ugliest house on the block. Right? Yeah. So if we just came in, we just fixed your house up and painted it and it looks wonderful and the guy next door is now going, whoa, wait a minute, I got to do something. And That's what the city likes. I mean, the city wants to be benevolent. They want to do the right thing, but let's let's get down to brass tacks here. I mean, the reality is cities are trying to maintain property values because if they don't, if their housing stock is falling off the edge of the table, we're not going to get the brand new QT. We're not going to get the brand new Dunkin' Donuts or Walmart or Costco or whatever they're looking for, right? And so that's what a city saying is hey, we need to take care of the weakest link in our chain. Can you help us do that? Matter of fact, City of Euless came back to us after seven years and said, hey, look, we want to show you something. And so they were able to sit down and use heat maps and show us how code violations had shifted in the city over the course of time where we had been concentrated in our work. But they were also able to say, hey, and these are the areas where the house prices went up the fastest.
0: I was going to ask if you guys got to see any numbers. On, on the actual effect, because with the way that you guys are approaching this, you would be able to very easily see what the difference was. And the city is bringing you this information this, and telling you that it is making city. Yeah, an impact.
1: Yeah, we're happy. Hooray, everybody feels good. Uh, go home, get your T-shirt. And, but, but no, the city came back and said, no, this is the economic redevelopment, which is what that two-year f- process of finding the financial model was all about, was where – how do we build an economic model? Because every city's got to de- talk about revitalization or economic growth. And so this was a way to take a, an older city and give them new life. And, you know, even in the city of Euless, they had some pockets that were underdeveloped. Now it looks like a boom town. If you get on 121 coming through town or, uh, boy, gosh, airport freeway is horrible right now with all the construction. But you can see the growth, uh, even the commercial growth that's coming into that town now. And I think... I think, and they'll probably tell you the same thing, a lot of that is because we started doing small things, incremental, and it's created momentum.
0: Is it important to focus on one area or you guys, it doesn't matter where you do that?
1: I would say it really doesn't matter because um, it's it's going to radiate. However, uh, yeah, some cities want to heat map it. They know what neighborhoods need the most help, most work, and then we dive in on that and, and go. So you could go either route.